Coming to you from Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection, I'm Lisa Sharon Harper, president of Freedom Road, a consulting group dedicated to shrinking the narrative gap. Welcome to the Freedom Road podcast. Each month, we bring together national faith leaders, advocates, and activists to have the kinds of conversations we normally have on the front lines. It's just that this time, we've got microphones in our faces and you are listening in. And this month, we welcome four very special guests. Joseph Ba, who is 17 years old and a 12th grader in Brooklyn, New York. Janelle Addison, his sister, eighth grade, 13 years old. And Jaslyn Addison, his other sister, fourth grade, 10 years old. They are students at St. Catherine of Genoa in Brooklyn, New York, part of the Ghanaian community. I asked these beautiful young people to join us on Freedom Road to help give us a window into how Gen Z is processing the upheaval of the past year. We would love to hear your thoughts. Tweet to me at Lisa S. Harper or to Freedom Road at Freedom Road Us. And keep sharing the podcast with your friends and networks and letting us know what you think. Okay, so I used to hate it, you guys, when the old timers would start sentences with, when I was your age. (laughs) But I'm going to do it here. Janelle, Joseph, Jaslyn, when I was your age, my biggest concern was whether or not I was going to be bullied at school or whether this or that boy liked me. And when I think about the world that you are coming up in today, it strikes me that you really do have to grow up seriously fast, much faster than I did. And it's not that our friends didn't pass away suddenly or that racism didn't exist. Those issues were absolutely present, but we didn't have school drills for surviving mass shootings. We didn't have militarized police forces who preyed on black and brown bodies. We didn't have a global pandemic that made us stay home from school for an entire year. We did have the AIDS scare back in the 1980s, but we didn't watch the news in the city where we lived and see tens of thousands of our neighbors dying from a disease that was acting like a severe flu. I want to know in our conversation today, how are you processing this? What is it teaching you about the world? What is it teaching you about your own power. All right, so I want to dive in first with a, with a kind of a question that, that sets the stage for our conversation. Because right now, literally today, like now, stories in the news are coming to us about what's going on on our southern border and the reality that there, there have been streams of children that have been trying to get into the United States as refugees fleeing poverty mostly, and also violence in their home countries. And thank goodness, President Biden just increased the number of refugees that are able to come into the country from just 15,000, which was the level under President Trump, to now in the 60,000s, I think it's around 62,000 that he's allowing to come into the country. This is a big deal. 
that we still have a ways to go before we get up to the levels that were in the Obama era or, or even before that. But it's progress. I want to know from you because you are Ghanaian. Your, your, your parents are Ghanaian. You were born here. You're actually American, but you're part of the Ghanaian community. What does it mean for you to be American? What does it mean for you to be an immigrant in America or to have watched your parents go through the experience of being an immigrant? Any thoughts there? Let's start with Joseph. Growing up, my parents always told me about their endeavors within Ghana and everything they had went, had to go through to come here. Like, what did they go through? Like, in terms of schooling, how they were raised, the difference between it, just the, the, tr- the tr- tradition they had to go mm-hmm. through. For mm-hmm. me, it's like it's opportunity to be here, to get an education. Mm-hmm. That's what they stressed upon me, to just have the freedom, the luxury of being in a democratic state. So I feel like I should be able to reach for the stars and get my education because they fought so hard to get here at this point. So I feel like just being American means to have opportunity, to have a chance, to be educated, to just have a chance to grow from where you were before. I love that. I love that. And Janelle, I see you nodding. What would you say? For me, like having parents as immigrants, it's a really proud thing for me now. But like when I was younger, I used to feel like a weird sense of shame around it. I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't tell people that my parents are immigrants. Or maybe, no, I shouldn't tell people that I'm African. Because when I was like younger in elementary school, a lot of people would make fun of people who are African. So I was like, you know what, let me not tell anybody that I'm oh, African. Wow. Yeah, so there was a sense of shame around that first, but now I'm very proud of my parents. Like, for example, when I was younger, there was like this program, and I felt like nobody knew where Ghana was. So I would just say, like, yeah, there was this after school program. And they're like, oh, draw, draw a flag of where you're from. So I drew a flag of Ghana, right? And then she was like, I said, I'm from Ghana. She was like, oh, okay, you're from Guyana. I'm like, yeah, I'm from Guyana, even though I knew I was from Ghana. So oh. I was like, oh, I'm from Guyana. And that was the type of things that I would feel like I thought oh, I had to hide this. So you had to hide your Africanness by saying that you were from Guyana, which is not African, this is in South America, and actually full of a lot of African people descended from Africa, but it's different. Wow. So you felt the shame of your Africanness as a child. And that was that because there was teasing or from other African-American children or where did that come from, do you think? It was mainly because there was like stereotypes of a whole bunch of really negative stereotypes surrounding Africans, especially in elementary school, because kids wouldn't know like the effect they may have with somebody who's African. And there was mm-hmm. like, oh, African booty scratcher and all these different type of names. Oh my goodness. Okay, so how about you, Jaslyn? I feel like because now that I'm in America, now since I'm American, I have privilege because being African and being an immigrant and all is something scary to go through because you have people who don't want you to be in this land, people who don't want you to be in their stores or anywhere that they go and will make fun of you even in the middle of the street. So I feel like I have privilege being being born in America. So I should really take that in and hold that in because I shouldn't play around with it, throw around with it, get bad grades. Because if my parents were struggling to do things like that, this is a privilege that I should take and use. Wow. Wow. Now, I'm sure my listeners are beginning to understand why I have this family (laughs) on my podcast. Y'all are such deep thinkers. I just love it. 
Okay. So I have another question for you. America has been going through a lot over the last year with regard to race in particular. And we, all of us watched the news almost a year ago when Mr. George Floyd was killed, was murdered on the streets of Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I wondered, where were you when you heard the news about George Floyd? And did you ever watch that video? I mean, you're all so young. I I don't know if you've watched it. And I wondered where, what were your thoughts if you did see it? Well, the first place I saw it was social media, was on Instagram. It was viral going everywhere. And the first thing I thought of, I felt was disgust. And when Mm -hmm. I saw him put his knee on the top of George Floyd's neck, I felt like he felt empowered doing that. Like it was some hidden anger he had towards African-Americans, towards people of color that warranted him, him to put his knee on someone's neck. So I felt just very angry. And prior to this, the Ahmaud, the Ahmaud Aubrey case had just been released. And yeah. he was just been blatantly murdered. And just seeing this twice in a row just made me feel really angry and felt disgusted by the country that we live in, that just breathing, just tr- trying to exist is dangerous. So I feel like when I saw those things, I just opened my eyes and was more conscious of the world around me. Oh, that's interesting. So you became more conscious of the world around you and you began to open your eyes. Tell us more about that. What did that awakening look like for you? For me, because prior to quarantine, it was just, you had these priorities in terms of school, in terms of keeping up your relationship with friends, things of that nature. But when quarantine, you're forced to slow down and you're forced to actually comprehend and take in everything that's going on around you. You don't have time to do anything else. You're within the household. So when I'm seeing that, I just have all this time to comprehend and understand that racism didn't go away just because it's not blatantly in my face. It, just, it never went away. There's a famous quote that says racism didn't go away. It was just, it's now being recorded. We're now seeing it. We're now just being able to just comprehend it and express it. And I right. feel like being in quarantine really allowed me to be more conscious. Thank you. And Janelle and Jaslyn, did you guys see the video too? You did? And what did you think of it? Because you're so young, Jaslyn, 10 years old. What were your thoughts? When it first came out, I didn't really see it. So it was when I did see it, it was kind of upsetting because why wasn't this case brought up uh, like a couple months ago? It was done like a couple months ago. Why wasn't it brought up at that time? And it made me wonder why people wasn't talking about it, why the video wasn't viral at that time. Wow. Well, I know that Ahmaud Arbery, that happened to Ahmaud Arbery. His video was buried for a while and, and then they tried to make it look like it was something else. And, you know, that was, it was horrible. And Breonna Taylor, even worse, they tried to completely pin everything on her boyfriend who just like her got woken up in the middle of the night, right out of his bed and witnessed his girlfriend being, being shot to death. This case, it, the, vir- the video went viral immediately and it was actually only a few days, as I recall, that that things began to move. But I think that happened because of all the people marching. Remember all those people marching? What did you think of all the people marching? There was a TikTok video that I saw, just all white people, black people, Hispanics, yeah. everyone just marching together. And I got goosebumps the first time I saw it. I wanted yeah. to be out there as well. So just seeing that felt so empowering, knowing that it's not just us fighting this battle that the road as a whole is coming together. And uh-huh. I think there was a headline that all 50 states had protests. And that's something that literally just, it made me feel like we were being heard, that we could make change by doing this. Yeah. And what did you think, what did you think, Janelle and Jasmine, 
when you saw the Black Lives Matter square in Washington, D.C., when they painted Black Lives Matter on the sidewalk there? Yeah, I feel like that was a very powerful thing to happen, especially since nothing like that has happened ever before. And I know that it also happened in New York and I think in Times Square. Yes. Yeah, so that was very powerful. And I let it be known that this is not something that's just going to disappear after a while, but it's here to stay. It's permanent. You see it as you walk and it just keeps it in everybody's minds. I think it's interesting how you guys have a sense of the time, right? You have a sense of the fact that this has never happened before. And you're so young, like you're 13 years old, Janelle. <laughs> you're 13. You shouldn't have a sense of time like that, but you do. And in the sense that you are a witness, do you know that you are witnessing history? Do you have a sense that there's a shift happening in the world? Yeah, I always try to be like self-conscious about that. And I like to try to write it down because I feel like I should be like Anne Frank or something and oh, write it wow. down and everything. So I really try to keep wow. up with everything in my head. Really? So do you journal all the time? I try to journal as often as I can. That's fabulous. And keeping a record of what's happening in the world. Wow. You guys are so conscious. That's amazing. And, and so everybody knows we're actually joined by their youth group leader, Elaine Tonto. Is it Tonto? Elaine. So Elaine's not going to speak, but I just wanted to let you know, Elaine, their youth group leader is with us. And we are talking with Joseph, Janelle and Jaslyn with the permission of their parents today, who are awesome members of the Ghanaian community. So we just want to say thank you to them. So I I have another question for you. So we, we witnessed George Floyd. You guys have like really at some of the most formative moments of your life, 10 years old, 13 years old, 17 years old, I've had to deal with that. But not only that, you've been in New York City while dealing with all of that in the middle of COVID-19. And COVID-19 at that same time was raging in New York City. I'm wondering how did life change for you when New York City went into emergency mode around COVID-19? I remember there was a point where we didn't leave our house for three to four months. Like we didn't see the outside of our own walls for three wow. to four months. It was just wow. very self-preserved. We couldn't see our grandmother. We couldn't see family members. It was just, it took a mental toll, not knowing yeah. how the people around you are doing. Of yeah. course, you can call them, but it's not the same. It's not the same as being in front of them and embracing them. So I feel like mm-hmm. just having that, just being away from people, it honestly made me understand how to be alone as well, but mm-hmm. also how to just keep in reach with the people I care about. That's really awesome. Do you think that as a young person, you're 17 years old, Joseph, how did you manage the loneliness there? Because I know that's really taking a toll on a lot of young people. I mean, the attempted suicides, the, the, the suicides, particularly among Black people are actually, and Black young men are rising, are, are pretty high over the last year. And so I wonder, like, how did you make it through? Do you know people who were struggling with loneliness to that level? And how did you cope? For me, it was all about perception. That's how you viewed your situation. Mm. So I I took the loneliness feeling and tried to use it as self-reflection to try to understand and try to understand who I was during this time period, knowing that I'll never have something like this again to just be with me. So I felt like I used that for self-reflection. Then to combat that, I studied stoicism, which was a philosophy that I picked up on on YouTube and that really helped me go throughout the pandemic as well. Stoicism. That's interesting. Okay. So how did stoicism, because stoicism is really about 
shutting down your emotions. So how did that help? How did that help you? It's not the way I perceived it when I was studying. It wasn't about shutting down your emotions. It was about okay. understanding them, understanding it's, how you feel. It was about understanding them. Yeah. Oh. And the different, the different journals they had me write, like writing journals every day or meditating in the morning or just having negative visualizations. Just like that, those different practices helped me just go throughout my day and understand how I was feeling. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay, listeners, you just got a freebie. You just got like some real practical advice about how to get through if you are still feeling the impacts of the last year of being holed up with COVID, not with COVID, with the whole world suffering from COVID-19 or hiding from it. You got some real practical advice here. Journal. Make sure you're aware of your feelings. Speak to your soul, speak to your heart, speak to yourself about those feelings in order to understand where they're coming from and to speak to them, to speak truth to them. Are, are there any practical things in particular that just really helped you, Joseph? For me, it was negative visualization and cognitive okay. analysis. Okay. Like I remember they would say, write how you're feeling at the top of this, like the top of the book, the, your journal, like we'll do it joyous, joyful, or angry, and then you explain why you felt that way and do that every day. And then you oh. see how your emotions change throughout the week, what caused them to change, what caused the trigger in them. Did you feel sad this way, this day? How, why did that happen? Did you, were you happy the next day? What triggered that? Just a lot of just mapping out how you're feeling and seeing how it changes throughout the course of the week. And wow. then by the end of it, you understand why you felt the ways you felt. Oh my goodness. So it's harder then to get sucked into the void of our feelings when we understand that our feelings will change. Oh, that's so good. How about you guys, Janelle and Jaslyn? Um, okay. um, for me, I was trying to like find like new hobbies and talents and things like that to try to get my mind off things. Like I tried to start getting start getting to music, like new shows, like ooh, what I should what should I watch or like a new hobby. I'll start doing hair and try to invest in myself as a person. So like I tried to start new things, trying new things. So that was something that really got my mind off of like everything that was going on. I love that, Janelle. That is so fabulous. And I did the same thing. I took, I took, I decided, I consciously took advantage. I said, this is a year for me to grow. This is a year for me to develop myself. I'm never going to get another year like this again. So let's go. And I did. I became literally stronger. I also bought a house in the middle of all that creek. I showed up did. <laughs> I showed up bought a house in the middle of all the creek, creek. How about you, Jaslyn? How did you, how did you cope with it? Something that helped me cope with it was drawing because I would just sit there and the lines would move itself. Like I could sit there and it seems like my hand would just write for me. Oh my and gosh. Like when I was drawing, it would make like its own pattern, its own lines for me. And then I would color it later with colors that I felt looked pretty with this and what represents my emotion at that time. Oh, that's so great. That's so Oh my gosh. I have a friend who does what something called spiritual formation. It's the thing that helps us to, to form our relationship with God. And one of the exercises that she actually takes people through is exactly that, to let the spirit move your hand and actually just let whatever is happening in your body and your soul to come out on the page and don't control it. And then you color it in later. That is so fabulous. And that helped you? Yeah. Wow, that is so awesome. All right, I have one last question before, before we take a little bit of a break here. 
Did you guys, now, you know, tell me if you didn't, but did you watch the attempted coup on January 6th? That was the capital direction. Yes, that's right. That That was insane. Yes, I agree. It was insane, said Janelle. I love that. And so, so what did you think of it? As you were watching that, you guys are immigrants. You've come, your, your parents, you were born here, but your parents came to America seeking democracy. And here they were trying to kill democracy. What are your thoughts about this? What's going on here? I couldn't even process it when I first saw the video. Yeah. But I really understood that this movement was just so racist when they had a Nazi. I think it was an internment camp. I think the first one. And they, they had the flag there. And they just had it with them. And yes. then they, they brought the, con, the Confederate flag within the Capitol as well. And it's just, you're trying to oppress us. You're trying to move us out the way and trying to just kill democracy when times have changed. And I feel like we have to address that. We have to learn to move forward and not just try to be stuck in what happened. You have to understand what happened and try to unify. But when we do things like this, it's just breaking us apart even further. Mm. What were the feelings that you felt, Jaslyn? Something that I felt was, I felt scared, but I also felt like, I just felt different emotions at the same time. Like, why are people doing this? But I know it's your time. We didn't say anything about it. But when it's our time to shine, you're here getting upset about it. And it also made me feel upset because no one was fighting them. No one was doing all of that when Trump became president. But now when they know that Biden is going to become president, they're upset about it, which made me furious because I didn't like the fact that people only thought about themselves and only thought the people only thought about the people who were on their side and had their opinion. These are our stories. You're listening to the Freedom Road podcast, where we bring you stories from the front lines of the struggle for justice. question for you all. And and Janelle, I'll start with you since you didn't really get to answer the last question. If you want to, you can start with that last question with a response to that. But I also, I want to hear from you. What has the last year taught you about the world that we live in? For me, it taught me that not everything is as straightforward and one inch as you seem. Because even if we might protest, that doesn't mean we're going to get what we want as a people. And mm-hmm. even if we put all our effort using the Black Lives Matter movements and things like that, no matter if we put in that effort, we're expecting to get the effort we put in. But a lot of the time, in, even over the years, there's been movements and, and all of that type of stuff, and we still haven't got complete justice. There are steps for sure, but it's still not there. Wow, that's really good. And how about you, Jaslyn? I realize that privilege isn't for all people because some people have some people have more power than other people. Like white people can have more power than black people. And people, when they think of America, they think of everybody has the same equality. Everybody has the same life. But it's really not that. Some people are homeless. Some people are, some people can't afford things. And I feel like people don't understand that America and this world isn't perfect and nothing can be perfect. So you, it, it feels like both of you in some ways had like 
your eyes were awakened to the reality of the disappointment of this world, the underside of the world. Is that what you, would you say that's true? Yeah, yeah. I would say that's true. Yeah. How about for you, Joe, Joseph, sorry. What has the last year taught you about the world we live in? That it's a lot more nuanced than we make it seem. It's a lot mm-hmm. of unlearning that we have to do, a lot of deconstructing that we have to do, and that we won't get that information unless we seek it for ourselves. I learned a lot mm-hmm. in 2020 by myself learning and by my friends teaching me than I ever did within the school system. And I felt to be politically, just to, to be politically aware, that that's something you have to reach for yourself, something you have to look for yourself. And that's what I did this year. Just understand that a lot of things are more nuanced than they've ever been. Do you think that there's any turning back? Because I think that's the one thing I worry about. I worry about, you know, over the last year, everybody got woke. <laughs> everybody got woke. Everybody, everybody like woke up, became awake. And everybody's marching and everybody's pushing. But do you think that a year from now that we're going to have people who went back to sleep? Or do you think that, no, now that you've seen, you can't unsee? Where would you fall there? You can't unsee any of the things that you learned. Any of the things that you learned. There's no, there's no going back. What we just went through in 2020 will never be forgotten. That's something that will be ingrained in us forever. So I feel like people, if you try to forget it, you will be, people will make you remember it, especially on social media, the new generation that's going on, the new movements that's coming along. I feel like you cannot forget this, even if you want to, and it will always be a part of us. I feel like um, if you, you can't unsee it. And if you do unsee it, then you never truly saw it in the first place, you know? Oh, wow. Ooh. Sorry, say that again. You can't unsee what has happened over this past year. And if you did unsee it, then you never truly saw it in the first place. A to the men. What? Out of the mouths of babes, y'all. Out of the mouths of babes. Those 13-year-olds speaking right there. And so I, I, oh, so here's another question for you, Janelle, because that was so brilliant. Do you think that there's the possibility of our world actually making that shift in a nonviolent way, like actually moving toward that world that we are pushing for, that world where everybody is treated equally by the law without further violence. I would like to think that there's a way because, yeah, I would like to think that there's a way because if over time you've been doing this, but at the same time, like it's like Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Joseph also brought up that point to me. So it was like Malcolm X pushed for violence when things didn't always go according to plan. But Martin Luther King Jr. on the hand, on the other hand, also pushed pushed more for peace and like going with the peaceful route. So it kind of it depends because I feel like there has to be a balance because even with like peaceful Black Lives Matter movements, a lot of times it wasn't hurt and people are still hurt by police officers and people in power but when there was right it was like oh now i'm scared and maybe i should actually start to make a change mm. it depends wow girl you really did just break that down and that's true it is true and and what dr king actually said and he said this in his book where do we go from here which he wrote in 1967 after having witnessed the watts riots which happened in southern california in la he said the riot is the language of the silenced. The riot is the language of those whom when they speak, no one hears. And so what they resort to is the damage of property because they know that the property is what you value more than human life. 
And, and it is really true. I, to this day, I look back at what happened a year ago. And I, while I'm not for damaging property, you, I have to admit the reality that it wasn't until you had 123 cities burning at the same time where fires were burning in 123 cities across the United States all at the same time that America got woke. America woke up. That, that says something about the depth of the slumber. And it also says something, right, about, doesn't it say something about what it takes? Like what it, we've been pushing for a long time, multiple generations, five generations just since, in my family, since the end of slavery have all been pushing. And then generations before that, at least five generations before that, so from, from the beginning of enslavement in America, from the 1600s all the way through. So at least 10 generations of my own family have been pushing. And it took 123 cities across the country burning at the same time for Americans to say, racism is real and we need to do something about it. Here, here's, the, here's my next question. This is for any of you who want to respond. What has this last year taught you about yourself? Honestly, as I said before, I've become more self-aware, more understanding of the, my own views on my own political views, my own views on myself, how I interact with other people. Mm. Just 2020 seeing a lot of people die, a lot of gun violence, a lot of just suppressed anger being released throughout this 2020. Mm -hmm. I just felt like I became more self-aware, more understanding of the world around me, more understanding mm -hmm. of my family, the people I care about, more understanding of just how things work now. And I feel like 2020 was a year that even though a lot of bad things did happen, I was in quarantine. That's something that I'll take with me forever. I'll never forget that year because I learned the most mm -hmm. out of it. Wow. Did you gain a, a deeper appreciation for your family and your community, your neighborhood? I did, for especially my family and community as well. Like mm -hmm. just being with my sisters in quarantine, that's something that really changed my view on them as well. Because even when before quarantine, we weren't around each other like that. A lot of yeah. work had to be done, just school, say hi to dinner, that's it. But now that we got yeah. to be more close, we understand each other better. We know what we like, what we don't like. We just have a closer bond. Wow. Oh my goodness. Would you guys, would you concur, Helen and Jaslyn? Yeah, yeah, I would agree. But even like before quarantine, we were really, really close. But now we got even closer. And this also gave me like a lot of perspective on life and how there's people in, um, there's this man in my church, like an uncle kind of, like uh -huh. cousin in the guy community, you kind of call like any like older man your uncle. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, an uncle in the church, he passed away. And I felt so bad because he had two, he had three daughters. So I was like, imagine <sighs> if that was my dad. Oh, so wow. that gave me a lot of perspective. Did he pass from COVID? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And so has it taught you anything about your ability to impact the world? It's weird because I know that we were all holed up, right? Like in our homes for months on end. And yet at the same time, our ability to vote, right? Our ability to march, our ability to sign stuff online, to show up to learn, to be present online. There's something in that I think taught me and taught a lot of other people that we actually do have agency. We have the ability to make an impact in this world. Did, did you learn that lesson over the last year? 
I did. Like, we have all the power in our hands. Social media is something that can be used as an agent for change, you know, in terms of yeah. the movement more than the vote. Yeah. I remember my mom told me when she went to vote, she, there was like a long line extending across the block. Voter turnout was higher than it ever was. Wow. So I feel like because of social media, we have that chance to be active. We have that opportunity to be more understanding and more, as you said, woke about it and just know that there are people standing with us. That's fabulous. And how about this for everybody? What has the last year taught you about your faith? Because I know that all of you are people of very deep faith, right? What has it taught you about your faith? What it taught me about my faith is that I can give up really easily if I really wanted to. And also gave, it told myself that it told myself that I could get distracted and snap of a finger. Because YouTube was three clicks away. I could have really done that if I wanted to. And I did. It also <laughs> told me that I give up too quickly. And that even in the hardest times, I should be able to hold my, myself up. And I should be able to like experience th- these things without giving up and without being sad about it. Because it's going to happen sooner or later. Wow. Wow. Can you tell us about one of the moments when you almost gave up, but you decided to stick with it? Like when my siblings helped me, like with my classwork, it made me feel better because I was missing a lot of classwork here and Uh they were able to help me. They could have just told me, not you do it by yourself. I don't do your work for you. But they decided, "Hmm, let me just help you instead. Wow, really? So it was actually, it was you were able to keep going. When you had your family come and support you in the midst of this, that's really, that's a great insight, Jaslyn. I appreciate that. How about others of you? Can you tell us the story, a story of when you, you were tempted to give up or when you were walking in one direction and realized, ooh, I need to walk in another direction? Uh, there was a, a moment within the summertime when summer mm-hmm. just started where I felt like I lacked purpose. Like I had a day... I was just trying to work for the cell of being productive, but I never had a true purpose, something that I wanted to work towards to no real goals. And I felt like I was losing my connection with God in that same point as well. Yeah. And I feel like going to youth ministry, because it was the same around the same time about it, going to youth ministry. And there was a summer speaker series where they had different speakers coming every week and hearing their perspectives on life and how they do faith really changed the way I do faith as well. Because your relationship with God is personal. Mm-hmm. God is universal, but how you connect with him is personal. So yeah. I feel like that's something that I learned as well. Something I learned to grow through, just grow with God and help yeah. him understand me as well. Janelle, do you think that your faith was one of the things that helped get you through this last year? Yeah, I would say most definitely. It was like definitely like one of the things that got me through this year. Like mm-hmm. I would pray so often. It was kind of, it just felt like a normal conversation with God. It didn't feel like, oh, I was praying to praise him or to do this and that. It was like a conversation about how I was going, how much I appreciate him. And it was like a full on conversation. Like he was my like legit friend. So it felt like wow. And youth ministry really brought me back there because before quarantine, I probably should have been a better Christian in that whole aspect. But now youth ministry also brought me back to where I should have been the whole time. And now I was like more closer to God and praying to him a lot more, reading the Bible and things like that. That's funny, Janelle. I actually, I tend to shy away from that should word that should have been, could have been, would have been, because you can't change it. And actually the reality is whatever you were, 
got you where you are. Like you wouldn't be where you are had you not gone through that journey. And none of us has a clean journey. Every last one of us has a journey that is full of moves we made that took us further away from ourselves or further away from our families or further away from God. And it's those moves that teach us something that get us back into close relationship with God, our family or whatever, our communities, ourselves. So I just want to say, I bless, I bless the path you were on and I bless the path you are on now because it's all part of the same journey. It's all the same journey. How about this? How did your faith change as a result of the last year? Not just how did it strengthen it, but is there anything that shifted, any way that you see God differently? And because, and Janelle, you started that, you started talking in about around that, but I wonder if you could be more specific, anybody. Uh, for me, it changed my relationship with God in a way that's, oh, I just have to pray God do this. It, it was like a strength path that I felt like I had to follow with mm-hmm. Christianity, like, oh, I could do this, I can't do this, this, that, this. It was all about what you could do, what you can't do, as opposed to a relationship. Yeah, that's exactly what it felt like. It felt like I couldn't, like, if I, if I did this, then I'm automatically a bad Christian, if that's what it felt like. But now I feel like I could talk to God about this. God is understanding, and I know more about God than I ever did before because I felt like there's this one straight path of going about being a Christian. Wow. Okay, I know a lot of people who are listening needed that word, Janelle. You just gave a word. Thank you. How about for you guys, Jaslyn and Joseph? How my faith went up because of youth ministry and everything in general, it just made me feel like I was a part of something and God wasn't something that I had to do in order to go to this place or go to that place. With youth ministry, it made me feel like I can do this whenever I need to and whenever I want. It made me Mm. feel like it wasn't something I had, oh my gosh, if I don't do this today, then I'm automatically going to hell or I'm I'm automatically a bad person. So now I feel like even if I do it once a week, it it still counts. And it makes me feel like it still counts. Even if I don't, oh, sometimes, at least I know that. I've been trying. I've been, I go to these youth meetings. I do this because I need a stronger connection with God. You know, you guys remind me of when I was in youth group, right? There was a day back in the day, back when I was a kid, I remember going to youth group. And of course we didn't have to do it online. It was, we didn't have COVID then or some pandemic, but there is a sense of it, it creating safe space to be young right? Like safe space to wonder about the deeper things in life. And people take you seriously. They take your questions seriously and they take your thoughts seriously. And you get to actually ask those questions. I just wonder if there, if you guys might've experienced this last year differently because you had that kind of a grounding space in your life. What do you think? I think definitely having that space to have those conversations. Like even there was a point in time that we did a list to live by where basically we had a book with 30 prayers in it and we all discussed it every week. And having that there, having those conversations with my peers, having people that felt the same things that I felt, definitely felt more connected. Knowing that I wasn't alone in my journey with God, that I wasn't the only one that felt lost trying to find God. So I definitely having that space, having that connection with people it definitely helped me go throughout my relationship with God. Wow. So, I mean, I have to say, one of the things that I 
am really honestly touched by with you guys, moved by your stories, because I think that so much over the last year, we have become awakened, right? America has become awakened to the reality of the brutality of the policing system against Black men. We, I fear, I'm concerned that for people who this is their, their first pass at thinking about race at all, now they're going to look at Black men and they're going to see victim. They're going to see, I mean, all they see is somebody under the knee of a white officer. That's what they see. They see victim. They see weak. They see prey, like the prey of a predator. But they don't see humans who are asking those deeper questions in youth group like you were. You know what I mean? Like young men who are just trying to figure out how to make it in the world, how to live and thrive. And that's part of the reason why I just really love, I love your testimony. You are testifying right now. I don't know if you know that, but you're testifying. You're testifying. I just want to say, I am in awe of your youth group leader who is here and smiling and nodding. <laughs> And obviously is doing a great job. And I know that there are youth groups across the country who are who have been working, walking with young people through this crisis, walking with Gen Zers through this crisis. And it is the solid ground that you are giving young people to be able to ask the hardest questions that actually gives them an, a, an anchoring space in the midst of a society that is literally in transformation. And, and I also, I want to just draw out one thing here. And I wonder, Joseph, especially if you could speak to this. It seems to me that one of the things that created the anchor for you, and actually Janelle also spoke to this too, Jaslyn, you can pipe into. But one of the things that created an anchor, like a, a sense of safety in the midst of all of the cray over the last year, is the ability to ask questions. It's that transformation of that space from the space that told you what you can do and can't do to the space where the main value is connection with each other, connection with God, connection with self, connection with your own questions. Can you speak to that? Is that true? That it's that kind of a deep questioning space that actually offered the anchor for you? And just being in an environment where, as you said, people understand you and people want to just speak about those nuanced topics. Like recently, we talked about systematic racism in our youth groups. We talked about deconstructing that and how it affects black and brown communities and how things have changed over the course of the years. Just speaking about those things, have being in a place where your thoughts are heard, where you're able to understand each other, where no one is being overlooked or saying that you're not smart enough to speak about this. Just being in that environment really changed my view. Just help me be more open and speaking about things like that. So I used to be more reserved and timid when it comes to those topics, political topics, but being in youth ministry allowed me to just embrace my voice and understand that I can be educated and that to speak on these topics, I need to be educated and I shouldn't be afraid to speak my opinion on it. Walking Freedom Road from coast to coast and around the globe, this is the Freedom Road Podcast.
We're living in the kinds of times that seed books, blogs, magazine articles, and op-eds that move the world forward. Are words floating in your head looking for a place to land? Do you need a safe space to write and share your work with other writers and receive feedback that helps to hone it, sharpen it, make it even better? Freedom Road is launching an international writing group online. Writers from across the globe will come together on Zoom, making space and writing in each other's presence, but in our living rooms, like good citizens do when we are social distancing. (laughs) Then we're going to share what God poured into the world through us. Your one-year membership can lock in your spot in this international writing community, or you can pay month to month. Follow the link in the show notes on our website at freedomroad.us to register today. As America struggles to overcome COVID-19, what are the biggest questions that have risen to the surface for you? Some of the questions that have come up in the midst of youth group or the questions that you haven't even asked in your youth group. I wanted to see how our mental health would change, how the brain just, and it's how the way it functions will change because Uh humans are social creatures. And now we're being we're being taken from that. Now we're in an enclosed space for a long period of time. Yeah. So I wanted to know, like, how would that change the human brain? How, or were more people depressed? Or did more people just find that self-awareness? I just wanted to look at the statistics on that. Just how did people change during the, during the quarantine? That's a great question. Do you have a sense of how it changed your own mental health? I mean, you, you, you've actually said several times in the midst of the time, the things that you did in order to ground yourself, the learning, Janelle talked about journaling, you, you have drawing for Jaslyn. I mean, these are things that you guys did in the midst of this last year that grounded your mental health. Are there particular things that you have actually seen or ways that it's impacted you? that you can actually draw from your own experience. You have legitimate experience to learn from. Schoolwork. For me, just school in general, I did way better during the quarantine than I ever did within just being in school, which is something that, yeah, I was was able to just channel and be in the zone and just be able to comprehend my work more better just being with by myself. And I felt the way that I handled my mental health, the way that I handled self-awareness, just being with my family in that time period helped me elevate my grades. Wow, that's really good. How about you, Janelle? For me, like, even before quarantine, I had a, I had a problem with, like, focusing and stuff. But, like, now it kind of amped up a bit because there's, like, constantly electronics around me. So it was like, mm. oh, should I text my friend or should I do this assignment? So it was like yeah. this conflicting battle in my head. And mm. plus, I get distracted easier now because there's, there's a ton of distractions around me. So that was one reason. That was something that affected me. Yeah, that's deep. And it's funny. So in the same family, you have two opposite experiences of this quarantine. You have one one child, young person who has been able to focus in a way that he hasn't been able to now. And then another child where actually it's all this online activity has created. It's made it more difficult to focus. How about you, Jaslyn? Are you going to split the pair? Where, Where do you fall in this? I felt better online and in person at the same time because oh. in person I'm able to hear everybody's voices just which 
made me feel feel good. It made me it just made me happy to hear everybody, all the screaming, all the all the <laughs> just everything and the teachers um the teaching it just made me feel better and online i just i kind of liked online too because i because i was able to just turn in work and do whatever i wanted after that unlike like in person when i turn in work i have i can't do anything anymore i have to just sit there and wait for the next lesson i hear that so you guys we just talked about derek chauvin we talked about george floyd what do you guys think of the verdict? What do you think of, what were your thoughts when the verdict was handed down? I know for me, I literally wept. I think I wept for an entire day. Like off and on, I just kept weeping actually for several days because I've never seen anything like that before. I've never, ever, ever seen a jury, like a jury that was half white people. Half of that jury were white people and several were white men actually say to a white male officer, not only was he guilty of third degree manslaughter, but he was guilty of third degree murder and second, sorry, second degree murder. That was, I mean, just unheard of. So I felt like we turned a corner. I wondered, how did you feel about it? Honestly, it was such a great moment because at the time I was in after school and everybody was off what they were doing. They were looking at CNN. They were looking at all the news networks, seeing what the verdict was going to be live and when it happened. Everybody was so ecstatic. It was such like a happy a moment. Like people were crying happy tears. It was so emotional. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And then like my after school teacher, she was dancing. It was like so great. And then as I was leaving, yeah, I was like, as I was leaving to go downstairs to leave, she was like telling all the strangers she knew what happened. It was just like a really great experience. Wow. Wow. How about you, Jaslyn? It made me feel like people were awake and even white people and white men were awake about what was going on. And they knew that it was wrong. And they knew that, there's no way that they could say he didn't do it. He did not. He didn't. Like they knew that there was no way of winning, mm. and they knew that George Floyd, he, he he was killed, and he was killed purposely. So it made me feel good that people understood what was happening outside of that wall, that wall that they didn't see before quarantine. Wow. And how about you, Joseph? I just, uh, when I first heard it, as I, as I was jumping for joy, I was excited. And I felt like this was the beginning. Our voices were heard. Our, just our marches, our, the rise, everything was heard. Everything that yeah. we fought for to get up to this point was heard. And I felt like yeah. it's the beginning. Obviously, there's more work to do. You have to get more active in the community, things of that nature. But we, we, that was a big W that we took, something that we should embrace. But we should also keep moving forward and knowing what more changes we should do. So I want to ask you, so what are your hopes for how this impacts the future of policing in the U.S.? I mean, and New York City and Brooklyn. Honestly, just better the relationships but for police between African-American boys and, and women and the police in general. Because mm -hmm. I feel like that's the first thing that wavers, that mm -hmm. the perception of a policeman to an African-American man or a woman is like danger. Like we cannot cooperate. We cannot coexist because you're just on, you're an automatic threat. And the way they see us is the same thing as well. Just implicit bias is put between both of us. And because of that, there'll always be a disconnect. There should be a more community engaging where police officers understand these communities they're policing and that young African-American boys and women understand that, understand the police as well. I feel like 
And this should just be that connection. We, we can't live at this divide all the time. So Joseph, if you were going to dream a world where public safety is done in another way other than policing, what would that, what would it look like? What would, what would public safety look like when you look around that world? Just a lot more rehabilitation centers, a lot more spaces where people get their emotions understood because I feel like they try to fix problems with handcuffs, but they never really understand the words or the emotions someone feels or remember the riots, they were characterized as just brutality, but those were unoppressed emotions that were never addressed. Those were suppressed emotions that were never addressed. No one ever took the time to understand. So I feel like more rehabilitation centers that we should place in these communities so that these people and that African-Americans have a place to just express themselves, have a place to be themselves and not feel like they're being threatened or they can literally die the next moment. Wow, that's fabulous. That's fabulous. I love that vision. How about for you, Janelle? I would say like more like community building and like removing the sense of fear that Black people have towards police officers or the things that they feel like they have to do to even make it past whatever police situation you have going on. And Especially, um, also retraining police not so automatically. I know, like, that might be like how some, some p- police officers are actually raised in like a very racist environment and mm-hmm. retraining how police officers should handle situations, whether you're black or white. So, mm-hmm. like, just not defund the police, like many people will say, but using those resources to train them better. Do you know what defund the police means? I thought. From what I heard, I think defund the police was trying to say take money out of like the budget for police officers and re put it into like the system. It's not just the system. You know where where that money would go? It would go to mental health. It would go to better schools. It would go to more lights on the streets so that streets are safer safer. And so it would go towards better hospitals. So people, and also more healthcare, so people aren't so poor, so they don't get so desperate out of poverty. All of these things actually contribute to public safety and they make a gun on the hip of a police officer a lot less necessary. So maybe you don't call it defunding the police, but let's, we, I do think, but something you got to know, if you don't already know this, is that our police have been really militarized over the last really like 40 years, 30, 30 to 40 years, this um, one law was passed in 1995, I believe it was, that began to give all, literally all of the military equipment from the Iraq war, which happened 1990, 1990, Desert Storm actually, not the Iraq war, but Desert Storm, the first Iraq war, first one in Kuwait, that money started, or that those military machinery began to be shifted from the military theater, in other words, overseas, and brought home and bought for cheap by police departments. So that's why when I showed up on the street in Ferguson back in 2014, they had, they had tanks on the, on the streets of a suburb. It was a suburb, an actual suburb. It's because that little podunk police, literally a podunk police department they bought tanks and like machine guns and things that they were then holding up against their own citizens. They don't need all that. Do we need all that? We don't need, does that make you feel safer? 
No. So when they when we say defund the police, that's what they're saying. They're saying, we don't need all that. <laughs> Let's actually put what we need in place as opposed to what we don't need in place. That makes sense? All right, cool. <laughs> you can you can totally say defund the police. I know you don't want to do it or whatever. I just want to make sure you know what it is before before you make your decision. That's great. How about you, Jaslyn? You've been sitting there so quiet and and listening. What for you, what would the world look like if there was more public safety as opposed to policing? I feel like neighborhoods should all be equal. Like neighborhoods should all have the same things in one place. So it's not like I have to tra- travel three miles to good, go to a good um, grocery store. I don't have to travel like a whole hour or two just to go get a good hospital. Or I have to go... I have to do all of this just to get something. Yes. And yes. Thank you, Jaslyn, for that. So my last question. Across the country, the supporters of that attempted insurrection that we talked about a little bit ago, they're now trying to limit voting rights. What would you say to those people who would want to stop you from voting? when you become of age. And actually, Joseph, you're already of age. You became, when did you turn 17? Last August, so I'm turning 18 this year. Yeah. So you're able to vote in the next election. And I believe you guys have a mayoral, even mayoral race that's coming up this November. So is that right? It's coming up in November? I think, I think it's coming up soon. Yeah, so... What does that mean for you? Like, if you knew that people were trying to take away your ability to vote, what would you say to them? I just help them, just try to help them understand that the times are changing and that this racist rhetoric they're trying to push would just be abolished simply as that. Because I feel like we have to take the chance to move on. They have to take the time to understand what they're actually saying, the impacts, the the repercussions of what they're trying to push. Because I feel like at the end of the day, we're going to be able to vote. There's, no, there's nothing they can do to change that. There's nothing, no things they can say to try to do to change that narrative. So I feel like we have to be able, as young people, as myself and people my age, just understand the importance of voting, understand the importance of knowing our community leaders, whether not even just president, just even local leaders, our council leaders, our, our councilmen, their mayors, just understand what they do. So I feel like voting for me growing up and when I grow up and the next year coming, it will be very important to me because just knowing that I have an impact in our community is something that's important to me. Mm. Thank you. And how about you, Janelle? I feel like, yeah, I agree with Joseph. I feel like that will never be able to happen, especially like, and even if anybody even tried to slightly do that, there would be a huge uproar because it's taken so long for African-Americans to even be able to vote in the first place. First, it was African-American men, and then there were so many tests and things like that stopped them from voting, taxes they had to pay. And then even to get Black women to vote, that was a whole nother fight in itself. So I feel like that would be extremely difficult to ever happen and, pos- and impossible, really. From your lips to God's ears, <laughs> we really will pray that it is impossible They are doing everything they can right now. It does come down to the Constitution. It comes down to whether or not the Constitution will be upheld. The hard part about this, the thing that actually does make it a little scary, is that the the last Supreme Court justice that came onto the court, her name is Amy Comey Barrett, and she believes that the 14th Amendment 
which gives the equal protection of, of the law for all citizens, doesn't necessarily apply to everybody. So she's with this guy named Scalia, who was like one of the old guard in the Supreme Court. So she actually is somebody who she could conceivably vote in favor of voter suppression. And so this is, it's actually not a done deal. It is something we have to march about. We have to sign about, we have to push about, we have to protect because this is literally at the heart of democracy. What it means to be a democracy at its heart is to have to let every vote count. One person, one vote. So thank you for that. Jaslyn, do you have any last words, any thoughts on this that you want to add? Yeah, I feel like the Supreme Court shouldn't have that. I feel like it should have enough power, but not that amount of power to undo everything that people's been working on for decades now and in the snap of a finger. That really upsets me because the Supreme Court is obviously going to have a lot of power, but they should have the power amount to undo history, which makes me really upset that they have all of that. And they could just do that and snap of a finger. So that's why we organize. That's why we organize young people. That's why you're educating yourselves. You're staying awake. You're talking to your friends in youth group about these really important issues matters. It matters because you really are. You, know, you really are the hope of our futures. With that, I want to end with, I want to close with this one last question. I want you to imagine that you are 20 years older. Okay. So Jaslyn, you'll be 30, 30 years old. Oh my gosh. And Janelle, you'll be 33. And Joseph, you're going to be 40. Is it 47? 47? Wait, 30 years from now. Yeah, 47. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. So what does it mean? Not what does it mean? What do you hope the world will be like? What's the world that you are living into that your generation is working for? Honestly, just more reallocated resources within the community is that's something that I really want to advocate for. Just having Mm -hmm. people that equal opportunity, just having not having to climb up from two steps forward, two steps back to just even get to the starting line. I feel like community engagement, community building is something that I really envision for Uh Just have all of us being educated. You know, education is freedom. Education is liberation. For us Mm -hmm. to all get to that higher level, that higher knowledge, something I really want as well. So I Mm -hmm. feel like just in a world where everyone's educated, where everyone has equal opportunity, where you don't have to struggle to just get scraps. That's the word I envision when I'm 30 years older. That's fabulous. Oh, wait. So, and I think I said 20 years older originally. So you would be 37, not not 47. I was like, something in that didn't work for me. I'm like... (laughs) Thank you for just rolling with it. I appreciate that. So that's fabulous, though. What you basically said is that 20 years from now, what you want to see is you want to see the fruit of your labor actually bearing, having borne fruit. You want to see resources allocated equitably between communities. I love that. How about you, Janelle? We'll work our way down the line here. 
Yeah, I felt like this generation was really like a generation of social reform more than anything. And the the form of the justice system, that's what I feel like this generation is mainly going to come out with at at the end of this. So I feel like by the time I'm 33, I hope that what we've worked so hard for starting from so long ago will pay off and that we'll be able to enforce what we want to happen. Mm. Amen. And how about you, Jaslyn? By the time I'm 30, I want school systems to teach things like this. And you don't have to go searching online for things that should be already taught. And the world just being educated, not because online, but from school teaching us things that we need to learn. The conversations leaders have on the road to justice. This is the Freedom Road Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The Freedom Road podcast is recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This episode was engineered and edited by David Dalt of Sandberg Media. Freedom Road podcast is produced by Freedom Road LLC. We consult, coach, train, and design experiences that bring common understanding, common commitment, and lead to common action. You can find out more about our work at our website, freedomroad.us. Stay in the know by signing up for updates. We promise we will not flood your inbox. We invite you to listen again next month. New episodes drop around the first day of each month. Until then, join the conversation on Freedom Road. Freedom Road.